Welcome to the LifePoint Palm Bay Sermon Podcast. We encourage you to make copies of this message, but please don't charge for those copies. If you'd like to know more about LifePoint Palm Bay, please visit LifePointPB.com. You can turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Over in the New Testament. Seven, seven books in, I think. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, verse two. Yeah, about seven books in. I still do that, by the way. If you, uh, as a child, I did as a child, learn the books of the Bible in children's church or Sunday school or someplace. And uh, I still find myself at times quoting them, trying to remember where something is located. I'll jump in. and Especially in the Old Testament. Some of those are hard. Some of those are hard to pronounce and hard to find. This morning, we're going to talk about the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. And that part we like. There's another part of this, though, that may be harder to receive, but equally true. Because the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes it abundantly clear that he's not just the God of all comfort so he can be the God of all comfort. He has a purpose and he has a plan. And we're going to talk about that this morning because it involves you and me. As we continue in this One Another series, today we're going to talk about comfort one another. Uh, Before we get very far in this, I need to tell you too, just because I think it helps to define terms, especially in our day. Have you noticed how people will use the same term, but it means totally different things to different people? And so I think it's important sometimes that we define a term. And you say, well, I know what comfort means. I think that here's how I tend to, to go when we talk about comfort. I tend to go to the word comfort, comfortable, being comfortable. Um, and that really isn't what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's not really talking about being comfortable. Although, you know, I don't want to make you uncomfortable. I don't think we go seeking discomfort for the sake of it. But as we're going through this life, you are going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have suffering. You're going to have affliction. Jesus said that in this life, you will have trouble in John 16. But he didn't stop there. Most of the time, we just stop there. That's the end of the verse. In this life, you will have trouble. Good news. Suck it up. Go on out there and have trouble. That's not the end of the verse. The verse goes on, he says, but be of good cheer. Get excited. Rejoice. Have joy. Why? Lord, you just told me I'm going to have trouble. I don't rejoice at trouble. I like comfort. Or at least what I think it is. He says, no, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I am your comfort. I am greater than your affliction. I am greater than your suffering. I am greater than whatever it is you're going through. The word comfort, as it's used in the New Testament, literally is the idea of adding strength. Adding strength. Uh, As a matter of fact, the Latin word that it comes from literally means brave or strong. Um, It's actually two Latin words. You put them together, it means to add strength or add bravery. Fortis is brave or strong in Latin. And so you have... This idea of strength being added, not necessarily pain being removed, pressure going away. 
you have strength being added. See, that messes up my idea of comfortable. I don't need strength added, Lord. I just need lack of pain, suffering, and pressure. And then I'm com- and my lazy boy. And then I'm comfortable. All right. You know, for years I laughed at people who had lazy boys. I did. I thought, what is wrong with these people that need a lazy boy? Until we got one about a year ago. If I had my wish, Jesus would come back and take me home in my lazy boy, all right? So no longer. I, I repent, all right? I will not make fun of any of you who have lazy boys anymore. That's our idea, though. Don't we think, you know, I just, I even think of heaven, I'm just floating around on a cloud kind of thing. It's comfortable, it's soft, it's easy. That is not the idea of comfort in this chapter or in the New Testament. And that's the good news because that's not really what we experience as we go. We have moments of that, and that's okay. But that's not our experience in this life. Look with me as Paul lays this out, beginning in verse 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. He starts with that. Would you understand? He's the Father of mercies, He is merciful. He does not find pleasure in your pain. You need to understand that about God. He does not, even though you may think, well, he could change this. He could stop it. He could rearrange it. He could do anything. He's he's sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. So obviously he must be sadistic because he allows me to go through this. No. Paul says, I want to establish for you, he is the father of mercy. He does not find pleasure in your pain, but he does find great pleasure in having you discover his strength in the midst of your pain. That gives him great pleasure because it's even better than having no pain at all. He's the Father of mercies and the God of some some comfort. Oh, your Bible says all? Well, I rewrote mine. I said some comfort. No, I did not, by the way. I I didn't rewrite mine. He is the God of all comfort. I want you to understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You don't find comfort apart from him. There is no comfort apart from God. He is the God of all comfort. There is no comfort apart from him. That's important. Because as we get later in this chapter and we start talking about comforting one another, realize you are not the comforter. You are being used by the comforter who brings the comfort. You are a conduit of comfort, but not the source. Who comforts us in all or some of our affliction. All. All comfort, all affliction. In fact, you can say it this way. All comfort, any situation. All comfort, any situation. He comforts so that we may be able... See, he has a purpose here. He's not just the God of all comfort because it's who he is, although he is the God of all comfort. He has a purpose and plan. What is his purpose and plan? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We don't have time this morning, nor probably the willingness to be that transparent. But if we had time and the willingness to be completely transparent 
And we went around this room and talked about the pain, the suffering, the those that you have, the, the things that you have brought on your in your own life because of sin, and the things that have happened to you not because of sin, but just because this world is broken. But if we went around and talked to each one here, and we were all transparent, we would recognize something. My guess is there's not a thing that you and I are going to face that somebody hasn't already faced. Somebody's already walked through it. Somebody already knows what it is to have loss in that area, to have rejection that way, to be wounded, to be, in some cases, brutalized. If we could go around and know everybody's story, it's here. It's in the room. And if you go beyond just what's in the room to the body of Christ as a whole, well, you certainly would find it then. What is he saying? He's saying the Lord allows you and me to go through affliction, to go through trouble. By the way, that word affliction literally means to be crowded or pressed. Years ago, Lori and I went to, um, we went up to Salem, Massachusetts, and visited the place where the Salem witch trials took place and, and all that. It's, it's interesting. I, I like history anyway. It was interesting to me. One of the things I learned there when I was when we were reading through all the stuff are some of the ways that they actually tested to see if you were a witch or not. And they didn't make a whole lot of sense. For example, they'd throw you in, and if you drowned, you were innocent, and if you didn't drown, you were a witch, and they drown you. Um, so, I mean, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? But anyway, um, but one of the most gruesome ways that they that they tested or punished for witchcraft was they would put someone and, and put them on a hard surface and then put a hard surface on top of them and they would add stones to it, weight. And they would keep adding weight to it until you were crushed to death. Pressed. This is the word. This is the picture. You're pressed, crushed, if you will. Crowded in the place that you don't want to be able to find no way out. And you feel this pressure. This is affliction. He says that we give them comfort with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. So we've received something from God as we've gone through these pressing situations. And now God wants to use that to be a comfort or at least a conduit for his comfort to someone else. For as we share, verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Can I tell you something? If you don't have affliction, you have no comfort to give. Because you haven't experienced any. How many of you have gone through really difficult times and you've had people come to you and you could just sense in the conversation they had an understanding and an experience of where you are that many may not because they haven't walked through the same thing. But as they talk to you, as they pray with you, as they just sit with you, you recognize there's an understanding here. Why? Because we've received comfort from the Lord when we've gone through these things in order that we can give comfort. Now here's the part of this that you may not like. We love the fact that God's the God of all comfort. I want comfort, Lord. Give me comfort. 
Even if it's not the lazy boy, give me comfort. Strengthen me, Lord. I want to, I want to receive strength from you. I want to receive joy. I want to receive peace. I want to receive what only you can give. But if you and I are not willing to be a conduit for that to go to someone else, then we block the flow of that comfort, that comfort to ourselves. You know, you say, I don't know that I've ever experienced being comforted by God. One of the reasons may be is you haven't been willing for that comfort to be, for you to be a conduit for that to flow through you to someone else. Let me say it a different way. We all know how to seek our best, what's best for us. Nobody has to teach us how to do that. Nobody has to teach us as children how to seek our own. We do it naturally. I want my own comfort. I want my own relief. I want my own salvation. I want my own whatever, fill in the blank. I've, I've said this before, sort of jokingly, but not really, because I think it's true. My kids' first words were not mommy and daddy. It was mine. 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 I know what's mine. I want mine. God says, you'll never fully taste the comfort that I give if all you care about is your own comfort. You'll never experience all that I have to give for you because the only thing you care about is your own comfort. Now, you say, I'm going through something really hard right now and this is tough. I get that. And desiring comfort is not a bad thing. Do you know what I have discovered? Sometimes it's happened simply because I felt an obligation because of the role that I have. And yet I discovered something along the way so it quickly moved from being an obligation to a privilege. But the times that I want to come in here and be used to the Lord the least is often the times that He gives me the most comfort. The times when I don't want to, to leave home. I don't want to come gather with you. I don't want to worship with you. I don't want to share with you. And by the way, those days do happen. They happen in my life. They happen in your life. They happen in all of our lives. I don't want to. Sometimes we're just weary. We're tired. Maybe we've been fighting the battle for a while and we're just tired and weary. Sometimes the pressure seems too great. But whatever the situation is, all of us face those times where I really don't want to think about anybody but me. And if I'm thinking about me, this is what I think is best for me. And in that place, we do not receive God's comfort because it's designed in such a way that he says, even while you're going through affliction, I want to take my comfort and let it flow through you. You know what I have discovered in my own experience? That when the Lord allows me to go through pain or affliction or suffering, I have a different amount of care and concern and really even humility because I'm humbled by my own pain and suffering and loss. And that translates in the way that I deal with other people. God has a purpose. He does this on purpose. He has a plan. You say, Troy, I can't do that. When I'm going through my stuff, all I can see is my stuff. All I can feel is my own. I can't do what you're saying. I want to remind you something, a little exercise we did in 6-4 this morning. I handed out a little sheet of paper, and at the top of it has a title. It simply says, God says I can, dot, dot, dot. You can make your own. I mean, it won't be as beautiful and wonderful as mine, but you can make your own. Right? It really wasn't that great, all right? Right at the top, God says I can, dot, 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 and then just 
fill in the blank. You say, I can't do that. I can't comfort someone else when my pain is so great, when my loss is so great, when what I'm going through is so bad. I can't do that. The Scripture says you can. Because I can too. As a matter of fact, you may find that because you decrease so much and it's not your strength and your energy and your wisdom, that God will increase and He will do more than you have ever imagined. I can tell you that there are times when I will preach or teach or do something you know, in that way, and usually the times that I feel personally the worst, and I feel like I've done the worst, and everything is just inside internally for me is bad will be the time most often that people will comment on and say, God used that for me today. That it meant the most. And I have seen that happen so many times through the years. I've begun to believe what it says in Second Corinthians. That he allows us to go through affliction and suffering and pain. Not only because we grow in it and we experience his comfort, but we have the opportunity to give his comfort to someone else. To let it flow through us to someone else so that we comfort one another. Look with me as we continue on here. If we are afflicted, if we're pressed, if we have that pressure that just feels like it's crushing us, it is for your comfort and salvation. It's for you. We go through this for you. And if we're comforted, it is for your comfort. You know what Paul says? It doesn't matter what happens, whether I'm being comforted or whether I'm having affliction. No matter what's going on, it's for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope, is for you, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you'll also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction. What we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Now, you could interpret this different ways. First of all, we don't know what was going on in Asia. There are a number of different guesses, suggestions of what was happening. Paul experienced a lot of things in Asia. There were some trials that he went through. There, were, you know, there was a lot of opposition. There, there could have, it could have been physical. It could have been disease. He doesn't tell us what the opposition, what the affliction was in Asia. But he tells us that it was so great, they weren't sure they were going to make it. They weren't sure they were going to live. He also doesn't tell us, and, and again, I don't think I'm adding to the text because the text doesn't tell us clearly. It leaves it open, and I think so the Lord can apply it in all of our lives. There could have been, along with this outward physical persecution and affliction that was going on, Paul could have been experiencing what many of us experience when we go through tough times. He could have been discouraged and depressed. Scripture doesn't tell us. But what it does tell us is that whatever was happening in Paul's life and those who were with him, it was so bad they weren't sure they were going to live. Or maybe it was so bad they're not sure they wanted to live. I don't want to show of hands, but I think there are probably quite a few in this room who understand that kind of pressure. You know what that pressure feels like. He goes on. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was, okay, this is 
This is what's happening. This is the facts. There's pressure, unbelievable pressure, and they're not sure they're going to make it. They feel like, God, it may be all over for us. Here's the purpose. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raised us from the dead. I love this. You know what Paul says? He said, we figured, we got to the place, we were so reliant upon God that even if we died, even if what we were going through killed us, he could raise us from the dead. doesn't matter. The worst thing that I can imagine happens to me. I'm guessing the worst thing that Paul and whoever he's with, the worst thing they could imagine, we're going to die. And he's like, that's no big deal. We serve the God who raises from the dead. Folks, that's comfort. That's strength being imparted within. That's, that's faith. That's hope. That's belief. That's what he's saying that God wants to do in each of our lives and then he wants to do it through our lives to encourage other people that way. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. He has, he will. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. I love this. He has, he is right now, and he will again. He has, he is, he will. You can say it to yourself over and over again. Matter of fact, I do say it to myself many times when I'm going through stuff and it feels heavy. It feels like it's too much. I say, Lord, you have, you are, and you will deliver. That's who you are. You have delivered. You are delivering. You will deliver again. You also must help us by prayer. This is another reason why we pray. This strength that comes, this comfort that comes, I have found that the tool, the greatest tool God uses, at least in my experience, has been prayer. Not just my own personal prayer, but prayer that you do with people and crying out. People praying for you, people praying with you, people praying on your behalf. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So, we go through hard stuff, repressed. We go through affliction. We go through suffering. Lori said something this week to me. She said, you know, it seems from her observation that often people in ministry that you, that you follow, that you hear or know, maybe they're, maybe they're well-known in Christian ministry, maybe they're not well-known, but you just listen to teachings and things, that most people seem to have a theme, one major theme that God has done and is working in their life. And then everything else, no matter where they go, no matter what they're doing, everything flows out of that theme. Some people, I have someone I love to listen to, you listen to him to speak, it's almost always on the Holy Spirit and prayer. Almost always. Whatever he preaches on, where he is in Scripture, we end up at the Holy Spirit and prayer. There are others that I listen to and or have heard preach and they have a different bent. They'll talk about grace in a certain way. Or my friend Clark, everything he preaches on grace. It doesn't matter where he starts or what it is, it ends up in grace. Which isn't a bad place to end. People tend to be, because it's the way God made us. If I were to, at this point in my life, look and say, what is my theme? What is it that 
drives me and motivates me. And everything I pray, I kind of come back to this place. It would be this. It would be for myself and for others that we would have an adequate view of suffering. That we would understand its purpose and its meaning and and the blessing of it. Now, I realize that's not necessarily a popular message. Pain is not your enemy. Pain in your body is not your enemy. Pain in your body is your friend. Because if you put your hand on a hot stove and you feel no pain, you will burn your hand slap up. All right? You will do great, great damage. Pain is your friend, even though it does not feel good. In our emotions and in our spiritual lives, pain is not your enemy. It has a purpose. James said, when trials come, don't reject them as intruders. Welcome them as friends. That's over in James chapter 1. By the way, if you think I made that up, that's actually in the Bible. Don't push him out as intruders. Welcome him as friends. I haven't gotten to that point yet where every time pain comes along, I welcome him as a friend. But I want to. I've experienced some pain in my life, so have you. Pain is not the problem. I believe that one of the things that God has done and the calling that he has and what motivates and stirs me is to live in such a way that I can be a demonstration of the power of Jesus Christ in the midst of pain. That no matter what you're going through. I think it's one of the reasons that there's such an emphasis that we have here on freedom ministry and prayer and worship. God's word. Because all of these are things that God uses. They're the foundational things that God uses to help us have a proper perspective of pain. Ron Dunn used to say, he went, he's going to be the Lord now. Ron Dunn used to say that most of us as Americans have an inadequate view of suffering. An inadequate view. So if you come to me and you're going through great pain, I try... To enter in. I try to understand that. But I also don't go too far with you in it. You say, what do you mean by that? I don't go so far in it with you that I can't maintain a perspective that says, you know what, God's bigger than this pain. He's up to something here. I don't see it yet, and if I were God, I probably wouldn't do it this way. But he didn't make me God. He didn't make you God. That's where we are. We're just going through the pain going through her and we're experiencing the comfort that only the God of all comfort who can give it in any situation that's what we're experiencing we do this in a lot of different ways second Corinthians is really the it's the book of comfort I want you to look at some of these verses you're just going to jot them down we're going to go quickly through them you can look at them later second Corinthians 2 7 so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him. This is talking about the guy that Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians. 
First Corinthians chapter five, the church at Corinth, they had, according to what we read in scripture, they had a man who was having some type of sexual immoral affair with his father's wife. And Paul said this was serious enough what was going on. Even the pagans in Corinth, and that was saying a lot because Corinth was a pagan place. He said, even those who don't know God don't do the things that are happening right there in your church. And you all are so proud of yourself as though you're spiritual and, and, you, and, and you're following God, but you're not addressing this issue that's right there in your church. So Paul writes a very strong letter to them. And he says, you need to deal with this. And because there's no repentance, you need to separate this, this person from what's going from the from the fellowship of the body. We're not we're, we're not trying to be mean, we're not trying to be hurtful. There's a separation that needs to take place here. So, matter of fact, Paul went on to say, turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the soul might be saved. So that seems harsh. I didn't write it. So apparently the church at Corinth, they didn't like it any more than we like it. And so they rebelled against it. So much so that it appears, as we understand the chronology here, Paul then had to, he writes that the letter, what we call 1 Corinthians, because he hears about what's going on after he establishes this church in Corinth. He writes to them. They don't agree with it. They begin to question Paul, and they're kind of doing their own thing. There's a lot of contention things. So Paul makes a visit to Corinth. He personally goes there to try to deal with it. They, there's still a lot of mess going on. Paul leaves Corinth. He goes on. He writes, it appears, another letter that we don't have recorded in Scripture for us. At least that's what many theologians believe. There's another letter that's written. Some believe it's the second letter to Corinthians. We don't know that. It's, it's not real clear for us. But it appears that Paul wrote another letter and they're back to them. And finally, there begins to be some repentance and change there in the church at Corinth. And so he's writing this letter that we're now reading, 2 Corinthians, to them because he's thrilled. He's overjoyed that there's, there's a repentance that's going on. There's a turning that's taking place. And he says, by the way, that guy that you made leave because there was no repentance, because there was no submission to, the, to God, and since, as a church, the very definition of who we are is followers of Jesus Christ, those who have submitted themselves willingly to follow Jesus and what he says, even when we disagree with Jesus, we still follow him. And so he says, wait a second, there's been repentance now in this brother. It's changed. He's like the prodigal son. He's come to his senses. God's, the Holy Spirit's done a work and he's responded to that. So bring him back, forgive him, and comfort him. If you leave him out there in this place, he'll be overcome with sorrow. You don't want to do that. You want to bring him back. You want him to be comforted. When repentance happens, whenever it happens, we comfort. We comfort. You say, does that mean we can't comfort when there's not repentance? We can't comfort the way God wants us to comfort when there's not repentance. Because God is the God of all comfort. And what's he looking for in our lives? Repentance. A willingness to say, Lord, I submit to you. I can't receive what he wants to give if I want to align myself with what he says. So he says, when people have messed up, anybody in here messed up? Only half of you. Wow. Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind. All the elders just resigned. 
We have new elders now, all right? Because all the elders have messed up, so we're all going to resign. Um, when you've messed up, when you've sinned, when you've done damage because of your choices, and you've recognized it, and you said, Lord, I repent, I messed up, I sinned. What does he say? He says, we forgive. He's already forgiven. He forgave long before you ever did it. Scripture says that Jesus died on the cross for all of our sin. He died for the ones you hadn't committed. Matter of fact, did you ever think about the fact that every sin we committed was after Jesus died on the cross? They were all future sins to Jesus. He died for them all. But people have a harder time forgiving than Jesus does. And he says, forgive them. Bring them in. Bring them close. Comfort them. Strengthen them. Build them up. Otherwise, they're overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And that's not restoration. That's not repentance. That's not, that's not Jesus. I love Luke 15. The older I get, it, it probably is my favorite passage in the whole scripture. Is the story of the prodigal son. I love it. Because I love in there the heart, they really want to call it the, the heart of a great father. Because that's really what it's about. It's about this incredible father. The son we can identify with because he messed up. The other son we can identify with because I've been that hypocritical jerk who thinks he's better than the one who messed up. I've been that person too. It's easy to identify with the sons. It's the father that's amazing. Look at the next passage with me. You guys can read that on your own. That's Luke 15. All right. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 4. I'm acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. Now, this is the church that challenged Paul's authority to even be an apostle. To even have. Why should we listen to you? Give us your credentials. Now, Paul's the one who started the church. And they then have the audacity to write to him and say, give us your credentials that you should even we should even listen to you. And he writes to them and he says, I have great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. In all our, all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. This is what this comfort that God gives does. Even in the midst of the affliction, the pressure, I still have joy that overflows. Look at the next passage. 2 Corinthians 7.7 7. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. Uh, he's talking about... Um, um, I just went blank. Person he sent to them, uh, Epaphroditus, I think. But anyway, uh, I may be wrong, and I, I just had a, a moment. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. So he says, I'm comforted because of what you did with this brother that I sent. He came back and he reported what's going on, and I'm comforted by that. I'm receiving strength because of that. Look at the next passage. Verse 13, therefore we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus. Titus. All right. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Not only did you receive comfort from the Lord, 
for your own stuff, but you then were a comfort to Titus when he was there. So he was comforted, he was strengthened, he was refreshed. Then he came back to me and he's sharing what God's doing, and now I'm comforted, I'm strengthened, I'm refreshed. You see how this comfort one another thing works? It just keeps going. Look at the next verse with me. Verse 13, or chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. This is a really good, if you wanted to have a series of things to remember on a daily basis, this would be a good series of things, biblically speaking, to remember. First of all, rejoice. Rejoice. Paul writes Philippians, often called the epistle of joy because he talks about rejoicing and joy in it so much. But remember that Paul writes it from a Roman prison to them. And the, and the starting of that Philippian church, church in Philippi, was Paul and Silas being cast into, falsely accused, beaten, cast into prison, into the inner dungeon. And then the Lord has an earthquake and they don't leave, they stay. And so the jailer doesn't kill himself. And they said, don't kill yourself, we're still here. So he goes in and he says, what must I do? And the church starts there in Philippi. You could say that church literally started in the midst of suffering. Aim for restoration. So rejoice first. Aim for restoration. Your goal is always restoration. Aim for That is God's goal. Always restoration. Aim for restoration. How can this be restored? Sometimes in some situations things can't be restored. Sometimes it shouldn't be restored the way it was, but God wants to have godly restoration. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Strengthen one another. Agree with one another. That doesn't mean we all think exactly the same, but there is a spirit of agreement, especially on these fundamental things. Live in peace. Live in peace. You know, I have discovered that much of the unrest and lack of peace in my family through the years was my own making. Most of it. Something, I mean, I just have to stir this or that and create a lack of peace. He says, for you, as much as it's possible with you, live in peace. Don't be the one to stir it all up. And the God of love and peace will be with you. 2 Corinthians is this really the, the book of comfort, if you will. You see this theme all the way through it. Comfort one another because God is the God of all comfort who comforts you in every situation. I'm going to ask the team to come up and as they're coming, how many of you have ever watched, I'm sure you've seen movies with it, but have you ever watched the behind the scenes with these stuntmen and women who put on, ringing, maybe I should step back a little bit, um, who put on these flame retardant outfits, and then they put the gel and stuff on their, you know, on their face, and, and of course they have the mat. They they have all of these things that they do so they don't catch on fire, or at least their bodies don't catch on fire. The what they're wearing catches on fire. It looks really cool in the movie when they're doing it. You know, they're they're on fire and they're you know they're running or whatever's happening, and real people are doing that, and that's real fire that's on them. But they have this comforter on, if you will. They have a comforter 
they have, they are clothed in something that though it may be hot around them, they are not being consumed by the fire. This is the picture of biblical comfort. I can't promise you that the God of all comfort is going to make it in your life so it's not hot or where there's no pressure. That hasn't been my experience, and I doubt it'll be yours. I can tell you that the God of all comfort clothes us. He wraps us. And it may be hot. We may actually be on fire, but we're not burned. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about how he how we're pressed down but not crushed how we're shaken but we're not overthrown by that we, we don't lose all sense of reality because of it we have tribulation in fact since I'm murdering that passage let's see if I can find it real quick um, is it second Corinthians 4 and as he's going through this whole thing, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way. There's that pressure. But not crushed. Perplexed. But not driven to despair. Persecuted. But not forsaken. Struck down. And Phillips, I love Phillips. I am struck down but never knocked out. I love that. That's Phillips' translation. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. In these lives that we live, Jesus can be seen. I don't love suffering and pain, but there is something that God placed within me and stirs within me. I want Jesus to be seen no matter what. No matter what I go through, no matter what you go through, that Jesus be seen. That's not just church talk. That's not just play the game stuff. This is real life. This is real hurts, real stuff where we live. To see the power of Christ displayed in you and me. Why don't you bow your heads with me? ask you to believe something this morning. Believe that he is the God of all comfort in any situation. And yours is not the exception. He is the God of all comfort in any situation. And now we've clarified what comfort is and comfort is. is. It's not my lazy boy. It's not that cloud no, it's the strength that's being gained, being imparted. He's the God of all comfort in any situation. And He comforts us so that we can then be a conduit of that comfort to someone else. So first of all, you've got to believe this morning He's the God of all comfort in your situation. But he allows you to go through it so that you can then be a conduit for somebody else. Because he wants to use you in the lives of other people. That's what he wants to do.
That's his purpose and his plan. Ephesians 2 tells us that by grace we are saved through faith. And that not of ourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then the very next verse, verse 10, says, We are his workmanship, created unto good works, which he foreordained. He doesn't waste your pain. It isn't an accident. You say, well, if he was a really good, loving God, he would just, he would change that. He wouldn't let me go through this. I want to say a good, loving God is going through it with you and doing something in you you could never imagine. Because that's who he is. Would you believe him today? Would you be willing to believe he's the God of all comfort in any situation? And that you're willing for him to allow his comfort not only to change you, but to flow through you to somebody else. To give it away. Lord, thank you. Thank you right now in this place as you move by your spirit. Thank you for what you're doing. Lord, pain comes in all of our lives and we don't, we can't stop it. We don't have control over it. Some of it is of our own making. Many times it's not. We just live in a broken world. Either way, Lord, even if it's our own making, you still forgive and you comfort. There's still hope. And Lord, when we feel like it's unfair that we didn't do anything, well, the truth is, Lord, if we were getting what was fair and just, none of us would be here. So Lord, today we trust you. I declare again, you in front of these witnesses I want to be used not only to receive your comfort but to give it to be a conduit Lord I pray we would be a, a church a body that looks like that I pray we would understand and have an, an adequate view of suffering to see it from your perspective to be like Jesus. It says of Jesus that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He knew there was more to come than what he was going through right at that moment. There was an endurance of the moment and all that it entailed, but there was more to come. There was joy to come. There was salvation to come. There was redemption that was coming. The world was going to be changed by what was coming, but he had to endure the cross. Cause us to believe, Lord, and to live our lives this way. I'm going to close this prayer in just, a, in just a moment, but I would remind you, we do this at the end of every service, if we can pray with you about anything, maybe you need someone to be the conduit of God's comfort to you today. Let us pray with you. Our privilege.
We are not here to correct you, tell you where you messed up. More than likely, you already know that because of the power and the grace of God. We're not here to condemn you because we're all in the same boat. We're here to be a conduit of His comfort because of what we've received from Him when we've messed up. And even when we haven't, when things have happened to us outside of our control, we've still received His comfort. If you're there today, let someone pray with you. Or any other thing that's going on in your life, any need, maybe you need to know how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, let us pray with you about that. Whatever's going on in your life, would you stand with me, everyone? Lord, we thank you again for what you are doing in us. I pray for each one here and their own situation that they are experiencing and will continue to experience you as the God of all comfort in their specific situation. And that while you're working in them right now, even though it's hard and it hurts and it presses, and they may be like Paul and feel like, I'm not sure I'm going to make it. I'm not sure I can survive this. But Lord, in the midst of that, you'll be right there. You'll be strengthening and speaking. You'll be encouraging. Lord, they'll encounter you. They'll experience you for who you really are. In a real way. Not some pretend religious way. But in reality. I pray this for every person in this room. No matter where they are in the journey. I pray for new dimensions of comfort. And that we would comfort one another. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.